Welcome back to Women in Politics, the podcast. I'm Sonia Coffin. I'm Caitlin Maker. And I'm Tessa Spencer. Before we hop into today's topic, I want to quickly recap our first episode. In episode one, we talked about American democracy, mail-in voting, states' rights, and also gave a basic rundown of HR1. So go listen if you haven't already, and thank you to everyone that has listened. Today we're going to start with a fresh topic, H.R. 51, which made it past the House a week ago today on April 22nd. H.R. 51 would make Washington, D.C. the 51st state of the United States. Tying this topic into our series, uh, Section 2201 of H.R. 1 shares findings related to District of Columbia statehood. The authors of H.R. 1 wrote, The United States is the only democratic country that denies both voting representation in the national legislature and local self-government to the residents of its nation's capital. H.R. 1 also lists other reasons for D.C. statehood, but before covering those, I want to know y'all's initial thoughts on H.R. 51. So, Caitlin, what do you think of H.R. 51? Um, Well, I am against D.C. becoming a state for a couple of reasons. Um, The first being is that the founders never intended for DC to become a state. And if you go back to the first podcast, I do talk a lot about founders intent. So it's no shock that I bring this up first. Um, DC was initially supposed to be a place where representatives could meet in a neutral nonpartisan ground and then go back home. Um, There was never supposed to have this large population of people actually residing in Washington, DC. Um, And to go along with that, all of these people are coming from another state, which they did hold residency in. And so they did, they do have representation in a state. Um, So if they really were that concerned about representation, they could go back to their home state, which they came from. Um, Another reason that I don't think that D.C. should become a state is that there's already so much centralized power there that there's really no more need for more government in that city. Um... This kind of goes back to founders intent of they were concerned that if the nation's capital was placed within a state that state would exercise an unfair influence or pressure on the federal government in their favor so if dc did become a state as well as be the nation's capital the fears of the founders would become realized um and the argument that dc doesn't have representation is semi-false considering that they do have three electoral college votes um and that since 1964, with the exception of 2000, when George Bush did get one electoral college vote, all three of the electoral college votes that DC does have has gone toward a Democratic candidate, um, therefore making this an extremely partisan issue and mm-hmm. would really add to the Democratic voting block in our country. Mm-hmm. Um, And then finally, they do have the ability to elect their municipal political leaders that do have substantial power over DC's day-to-day affairs under the Home Rule Act. So for those reasons, I don't think that DC should become a state, but what do you think about it, Tessa? Well, before I get into my own thoughts, I kind of just wanted to comment on a couple of Caitlin's thoughts. Um, Mainly the, when you brought up that it's a partisan issue, and I think that we can all agree that most things in this bill are a partisan issue, but this can be a partisan issue because if, it, you know, Democrats want more power, so they want more electoral votes. And I think if Republicans saw that it was Republican voting, 
block, then they would probably support D.C. becoming a state because that would mean more electoral votes for them. So I just kind of wanted to say that in a sense, I think we all need to get out there that it is a partisan issue because I think both sides want power and they're going to be on the side that gives them more power. So I think it's relatively easy to point out that Republicans and conservatives don't want this bill passed because they don't want more votes to go in. So I just kind of want to point that out. Um, to no shock, I disagree with Caitlin, <laughs> and <laughs> I am for HR 51 and for TC becoming a state. And I want to start off by saying that right now, 700,000 people live in D.C., and they have zero voting representation in Congress. These people aren't getting the fundamental rights that other American citizens like us that live in states with uh, electoral votes and representation in Congress. Um, And I believe that the people of D.C. deserve a meaningful vote, real representation, and a full voice in their government, just like we do. Um, so Vermont and Wyoming both have smaller populations but are more represented in Congress and for me that's like showing that the people in DC are not being represented fairly if there's people in smaller states that have a bigger voice in the government and that's not something that I support and I also think that this fact shows that DC is in fact big enough to become a state and that's a reason it should become a state and dc residents pay more in total federal income tax than those in 22 other states so only to get no say in how those tax dollars are being spent so just like any other citizen they're paying tax dollars they're paying taxes to this government that is supposed to represent them but they're not actually getting the full voice in what their money is being spent towards or anything like that Caitlin, did you have something that you wanted to add? Well, just to kind of push back against that point, if it was purely a taxation issue, they should address the amount of taxes that they're paying because if D.C. does become a state, will that address the tax issues that they're bringing up in this? I don't think that it's necessarily like the issue is that they pay more federal income tax than other states. It's just that since they are paying so much in federal tax that their voice should be heard and they should have a say in what those tax dollars are going towards it's not necessarily the issue of how much they're spending rather than what it's being spent on don't you think that they could go back to their home state though i think that they should be able to live (laughs) wherever uh like if they want to live in dc because that's their home they shouldn't have to just go back to where they ever they came from because maybe wherever they came from is not where they needed to be So I think if they're living in D.C., there's a purpose for that and that they should get the representation that any other American citizen deserves. Yes. Um, (laughs) Kind of my last thought about why I'm for H.R. 51. Uh, I believe that the government should be truly representative of the American people. And as it stands with D.C. not being a state um, and the diverse population that it has and the tax-paying people that's a part of it, it's not being represented in Congress as it should be. So that's why I think that D.C. should be a state. Uh, Before I hop into my own opinions on H.R. 51, I want to bring up those specific points mentioned in Section 2201 of H.R. 1. Uh, So first, D.C. pays more federal taxes per capita than 22 states, which Tessa talked about. 
Second, DC has a larger budget than 12 states. And third, DC has a larger population than two states. So those are the reasons that Democrats use for DC statehood in HR1. But for my view on DC statehood, uh, those three points that I just mentioned are not as important to me as the diversity of DC. Out of the 700,000 residents in DC, over 240,000 are government employees. In comparison, California has a population of 39 million people, but only has 172,000 federal employees. As Caitlin mentioned, DC was intended to be a neutral, nonpartisan ground, but with HR 51, DC will become a partisan state. Do you think that it will be a good idea if or a good thing if DC becomes more partisan? No, but HR 51 is solely written on partisan platforms, as we talked about earlier. I feel like it's safe to say that this bill is partisan because of the strong Democrat registration in DC right now. Uh, currently in DC, 76.8% of voters are registered as Democrats and only 5.72% are registered as Republicans. When it comes down to it, HR 51 is only about adding those seats to Congress. So I just want to not even really give pushback, but because I've already mentioned that it can be seen as a partisan issue. Mm -hmm. um, but I also want to point out that I, not just as a Democrat or a liberal, want DC to become a state because it gives more power to the Democrats, but that these people do genuinely deserve to have their voice representative. And their, if their voice is representative of more Democratic ideals, that's kind of it is what it is because but that doesn't mean that their voice is any less important even if it was like more republican majority these people still deserve to have their ideas heard in congress mm -hmm. and then represented in congress so i think it's important to understand that even though it's partisan and that it might make an area more partisan than it was originally intended that doesn't take away from like the natural rights of those citizens deserve yeah i feel like even though uh, even if dc was republican controlled right now i'd still be against um hr 51 i just don't want dc statehood because of that partisanship so that's where we're clashing at i agree with that if it was republicans wanting this i think that we both could agree sonia and i could agree that it would still be a bad idea just because it is creating a more partisan voting block but I also think it, it does need to be recognized, too, that it would be giving statehood to the nation's capital where not just state functions happen, but the entire national government operates. And to have a state in the same area, same state, potentially, as the federal government would give them an unfair advantage um, and could potentially sway um the way that the federal government views D.C. in general. Um, so I think that if they did want um, more representation and if it was they wanted more um, congressional representation, it wouldn't be that hard to live across the Potomac in Virginia or live in Maryland in a state that does offer congressional representation just so that it doesn't become partisan. I think there's a lot of other more logical ideas and solutions to 
the partisan issue and representation issue of DC becoming a state. So uh, that was actually going to be my next topic was uh, returning DC back to Maryland. Um, back in 1846, Arlington and Alexandria were also part of DC, but they returned them back to Virginia with just a simple act of Congress, no constitutional amendment or anything like that. So there is currently a proposed bill in Congress that would uh, return the residential parts of DC back to Maryland. So what are y'all y'all's thoughts on that? I think that that would be a much better solution than making DC a state of its own. Um, it would address the representation in Congress issue and would allow for the citizens of DC to have that representation without shifting the number of states and senators that are in um, the Senate. And I think that overall, though, my biggest concern is more than just D.C. becoming a state, but we need to decentralize some power from D.C. in general. Um, And so if D.C. was to be returned there, um, it would keep it from becoming a state and it would decentralize some power that they have from there instead of adding more government to D.C. So... I don't like completely disagree with that idea. I actually think that that is a compromise that could have a solid future with getting these citizens their representation in Congress mm-hmm. because I think, as I point out in this podcast, um, the most important thing to me with this resolution or this bill is making sure that everyone's voice is heard. And if getting them the representation in Congress or making sure that their taxpayer dollars are going to what they are looking for and stuff like that is returning DC to a state that has Congress and that doesn't throw out, throw off the numbers that are already in Congress. So that's not an idea that we should totally dismiss as Democrats, just because obviously the Democrats want more um, electoral votes. But I think as a Democrat that if, DC was returned to a state that had representation and they were, those people got their voice back in Congress, that that could be a compromise that we uh, could work with the Republican side on. And I think that's a thing that could be more bipartisan. Mm -hmm. Do y'all have any final thoughts on this topic before we switch on over? I don't. I think that if they listen to us in Congress, there could be a lot of things that get done because we've compromised on a lot of things in this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes. That's why this podcast is good. It's three people with pretty different views trying Mm -hmm. to figure out the best solution to some of these big issues. (laughs) Right. It definitely shows that you can take these issues with a level-headed, bipartisan look at it. Absolutely. All right. Our next topic is ballot collection, also referred to as ballot harvesting by mostly Republicans. H.R. 1 would permit voters to designate other people to return their ballots for them. The official wording on this is as follows. The state shall permit a voter to designate any person to return a voted and sealed absentee ballot to the post office, a ballot drop-off location, tribally designated building or election office. This is already legal in 26 states, including Colorado. So what do y'all have to say about ballot collection? Well, in Colorado, um, 
The ballot can be delivered by any person of the elector's choice to any duly authorized agent agent of the county clerk and recorder or designated election official for mailing or persons of delivery. Um, so like she said, this is already implement, implemented within Colorado. Um, but I, to everyone's surprise, do disagree with this. Um, I think that there's a lot of things that can go wrong with this particular method of returning ballots. Um, I know that when I return my ballot to the Dropbox, there's not necessarily any form of security. There's no one standing there to make sure that it's your ballot that you're dropping off. Um, there's no one there that's, you know, oh, are you a duly authorized agent of the county clerk that's dropping someone else's ballot off? So I think that there's just such little security around um, allowing someone else to drop off someone else's ballot. Um, and if this bill really wants to secure our elections, I don't really think that that's a great way of going about it. Um, and I think that when you allow a third party to handle someone else's ballot, you immediately increase the risk of ballot tampering. Um, so I'm just not sure why we would want to put something into law that would increase our elections, um, the risk of our elections being tampered with. Um, ultimately, we cannot sacrifice election security on the altar of comfort and accessibility. So uh, I'm also from Colorado, so I also am voting in the same system as Caitlin, and I take a view that's more in favor of the Colorado voting system, specifically with the ballot collect collection. Um, I don't completely disagree with Caitlin, a shocker, I know, <laughs> but <laughs> uh, because I something that's very important to me is election security. I want to make sure that the elections are giving the exact results that are supposed to be getting and that everyone's mm -hmm. vote is who they're voting for and it's not being tampered with. And I will stand by that forever. So I don't completely disagree with Caitlin and I do think that um, election security should be like a top priority. But I disagree that I don't think that this area of ballot collecting is a huge threat to election security and um because i think it this part of hr1 to some extent is good and necessary part of the bill because a a lot of what this bill is like it's titled the for the people act and it's making sure that the people are being able to vote and are able to be represented which i said like a million times already how important i think that is and so like Caitlin mentioned, Colorado, along with many other states, have already had this system of ballot collecting put into action. And I personally don't believe that there's any less security of my ballot when I vote in Colorado than if I voted in a state with a different ballot collection system. I When I vote and I, I've always used when I, my one election <laughs> that I got to vote in, I uh, was able to sign it and mail it in and I didn't feel like that was any less secure. Um, so I know in my family, when we vote, often we all vote, we all sign our thing, and my mom takes them to the, uh, where we drop it off at our local library, but that is due because of convenience, because my grandparents, it's hard for them to get out, so 
they do their ballot, my mom is able to take it to the collection site and she can take me and my dad's along with her. And that is not something that to me is like going to make ballot election security an issue because I know that one of the main purposes of mail-in ballots is to allow more people that don't have the ability to wait in line and vote in person the ability to vote. And I think that this part of ballot collecting is trying to help make voting possible for more people rather than provide an opportunity for quote-unquote ballot harvesting like many Republicans are trying to push for. Um, I think that there can be a compromise here of allowing for say there's a family you all vote i think that there could definitely be something within the bill that says people within the same family can return everyone's ballots um i think it's more just when you're getting outside of your immediate family or your grandparents like there's just my concern's not so much that your mom takes your ballot to the drop box but it comes when you have one person taking people's ballots from outside of their immediate family or outside of their family in general. And then there's nothing at the drop boxes that is making sure that that person is authorized to take their ballot. And so I think that there can be a compromise there of if it's your grandparents or your parents um, that take it to the drop box, I don't think that's that big of a deal but it's more outside of the family that I think we need to address. Sonia, what do you have to say about this? I would understand opposing concern of just letting family members turn in ballots because a large fraction of those people that have uh, trouble turning in their ballots are those elderly people that live alone, so without any family members. So I definitely understand why that compromise wouldn't completely work out. But yeah, that's it. I was, Sonia kind of took exactly what I was going to kind of come back at Caitlin with was that I just want to also make sure that there's ability for those elderly people that aren't have family, can't get in in person voting and can't get their ballot by themselves, that they have a way to make sure that their ballot is delivered in a way that is making sure that election security is still the top. I think priority. That you could easily add that into like family and like it says in there, a duly authorized person, right. like the county clerk. So having yeah. people within the community that can go pick up ballots of those who don't have family or can't get out of their house, but just making it a bit more precise and not quite as vague in their wording of, oh, anyone can take your ballot, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. In Oklahoma, we have uh, notaries for our absentee ballots, so I feel like that would be yeah, something similar, yeah. having that designated person. But continuing on Oklahoma's election setup here, uh, it's actually illegal for a third party to return an absentee ballot on a voter's behalf. And if that person uh, returns under 10 ballots, then it's a misdemeanor that can result in a year of jail time and a $10,000 fine. And if they return over 10 ballots, then they can get five years in prison and also have a $50,000 fine. So it's definitely interesting how something that's legal in 26 states now can result in prison time here in Oklahoma. But 
Still personally, I side more with Oklahoma's method here. I'm not nervous about third parties unsealing an envelope and changing that already filled out ballot, but I am nervous about third yeah. parties getting a hold of blank ballots, filling them out themselves, and then returning that ballot back to a designated place. Since only a voter can return their own ballot in Oklahoma, we don't have that fear. Yeah. Um, building a little more on Oklahoma system. I mentioned just a little earlier about notaries and also in the 2020 election, you could also send in a scanned photo ID with your uh, ballot. That just kind of adds a little bit of security there and gives more verification than Colorado does provide with a voter's signature. So what do y'all think of that? Um, yeah, I agree with what Sonia said there. Um, in Colorado, it is only a voter signature that is required on the mail-in voter ballot. Um, so I would definitely feel a lot more confident with mail-in voting in general if it was a bit more like the Oklahoma system where you had to have a photo, photo ID or a notarized ballot to turn in. Um, I think that it would just add a few more layers of security. Um, and especially with the photo ID, a copy of that, I don't think that would be a huge jump or be a super big inconvenience for people to include that in there. And like I mentioned last episode, I I don't think that voting should just be this super simple, easy thing. There has to be um, a desire and it has to, it can't just be I'm checking off boxes. It actually has to be um, secure um, and not just this super easy thing that you can do. Not saying that I think that, um, no one should vote, but um, there, do, there, there does need to be a few more hoops you have to jump through rather than just putting your signature on something because um, it would be very easy to get a blank ballot right. and fill it out and right. put someone else's signature on it. So I think that if we just added a few more layers of security, like Sonia said, I would be a bit more open to the idea of mail-in ballots. Mm -hmm. That's all I have on ballot collection. So do you guys have anything to add? Uh, I think my final thoughts about this would just be that it, because I think Caitlin was, and Sonia both were more in support of the Oklahoma type ballot system. And I think that while I agree with the Colorado system and I like a lot of parts of it, if we use, I think, how we've done in a lot of this podcast, some bipartisan and how to compromise between Oklahoma Absolutely. system and Colorado system where it wasn't illegal for people <laughs> yeah. to a third party person to turn in an absentee ballot, but it wasn't just anybody can turn in whatever ballot that we could make a good ballot collecting system where we are ensuring that people that want to vote can vote and still making an election security our number one priority. So those are my final thoughts about ballot collecting. Mm -hmm. I'm definitely a fan of the family members and also uh, selected people. Yeah. So that's definitely some interesting thoughts for ballot collection and also D.C. statehood. And that's our episode for the week. So next week we will be wrapping up our H.R. 1 mini series by discussing federal money going to campaigns and election Tuesday being a holiday. Uh, to be notified when episode three drops, follow our Instagram at women.and.politics. Thank you guys. Thanks, Thanks you guys. Thanks for listening. <laughs>